All right, good morning. Welcome to Parkview. I'm Doug, one of the pastors here. It's great to have you with us. So uh, there's been a shift in our culture, I've noticed, over the last several years. But um, weddings used to mostly, it seemed like, happen like in June, right? Maybe May, June, early July. I've seen more and more weddings happening in the fall here, especially maybe by weekend, like when the Hawkeyes aren't playing weddings, right? So we have had, or going to have, five weddings in three weekends, like just here. We had some stacked this weekend and all of that, so it felt like a little wedding assembly line uh, this weekend. John did one, I did one, but, um, and uh, had just two good ones that I had a chance to be part of. It was, it was a great honor, um, but it, it's made me reflect a little bit on some wedding bloopers uh, that have happened to me over the years. So one was, uh, there was a group of guys that I was praying with, the groom, and the, the groomsmen are all around, like we're praying for him, our hands are on him right before the service starts. We get done praying for him, and he looks at me and he goes, I don't feel really good right now. And so it's like, oh, what do we do? He says, I've got to go throw up. So he went to a bathroom, did his business there, and came back, he says, okay, I'm good to go. That happened to me in high school wrestling. Right before meet, I'd get nervous, I'd throw up, then I'd go wrestle. So he was game on, ready to go, and fortunately somebody gave him uh, breath mint. That was important there for that first kiss. So we've had that happen. There was one time I was up here and we'd reached that part of the ceremony where we were going to exchange rings. And usually there's some playing around with the groomsmen that can go in there where the guy acts like he doesn't have the ring and maybe you've seen that before. All the groomsmen act like they don't know where the ring is. But this time we actually did not have the rings because when I said now we'll have the rings, the bride's eyes just got huge. She said, she whispered to me, the rings are at my house. It's like, okay. And so I just had this sound person cut me off for a little bit. We huddled on the stage, and I regret to say my best solution was, let's just pretend, because nobody can see. Anyway, let's just do it, and then when we get the rings, we'll put them on. And so we're starting a wedding with deception. That just, that was not a good, that was not a good path to go. And one of the groomsmen threw a genius idea out and said, do it at the reception. It's like, sweet. So we just told everybody what was going on, and we did it at the reception. That was a good recovery there. I liked that one, so way better than my idea. Um, then last weekend, I never had this happen. I learned so much about wedding behind the scenes last week. We had a wedding delayed by 90 minutes. 90 minute, and it wasn't lightning delay. It wasn't like we were outside like so many of our football games this fall have been delayed by weather. This was a delay because of a hairdresser, which was amazing. This hairdresser had been here for eight hours and still couldn't get the job done. And I'm learning a ton. Like, I'm hearing that, you know, I've never been in the bridal section of all that stuff that goes on. And so when I hear, yeah, hairstylist delay, I go, what's that, like five, ten minutes? Oh, no. Like, oh no, there's a lot to this. And then she has to put on the bride's makeup. I go, oh, what's that? Like three, four, five minutes, you know? It's like, oh no, you don't understand. And then we're, you know, getting progress reports. Well, now she's got to get her dress on. It's like, sweet, what are we, like one minute out? Oh no, this is like 15 or 20 minutes. Like, I didn't know any, any of this. So about 40 minutes in, we had to go to the crowd and just go, hey, we just got to give you an update here. <laughs> like, uh, so the groom is here. He's fine. The bride is here. She's fine. They still love each other. Like, this is going to happen, uh, but we're being delayed. And I didn't throw hairdresser under the bus. Thought about it, but did not do that. And uh, we went ahead. And, so we released the people for about a half hour, had them come back into their seats. So crazy. But 
long stories to get to this point, all right? So what's cool about a lot of the weddings we do here in Iowa City is it seems like, um, I'd say well over half are couples that have met each other here in Iowa City. And so this is, because of the university, this is where they've met. And so I will get to know these couples through different things and, and, and really know them, but not really know their families. And so when you come in for the rehearsal and the receptions and all of this, then you begin to see like the family and especially you begin to see some, some resemblances and some traits like, wow, you sure look a lot like your dad and have a lot of his mannerisms and it makes me pray even more that my kids will keep looking more and more like their mom. Like that's way better for them, you know? And so especially when we've done in premarital counseling, we'll talk about family backgrounds. And so I may know some stories about some of the family traits that have been passed down, but that's a really interesting thing. And so that's where we're headed this morning is this whole concept of traits. And this fall as a church, we are looking at um, what are the traits of a follower of Jesus? Like what does it look like to follow him? And the trait we're looking at today is one that Jesus said, if you have this trait, then you will clearly stand out as one of my followers. Like this, this trait is something that you will learn from me, and then when you put it into action, you will stand out wherever you go on this planet, in whatever era you live your life on this planet throughout the, the, the histories and centuries, wherever you live, uh, if you have this trait, you will stand out as my disciple, all right? And so we're going to look at two passages as our launch passages today. And one is John 13, verse 34 and 35. And these are two verses that Jesus taught to his disciples on the night before he was arrested and crucified and before his resurrection. This is called the Upper Room Discord from John 13 to 17. And it's where Jesus is gathering his team to teach them what is most important, like what they are going to need to know. And it's in that context, he says this, a new command, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. So the trait that proves that we are followers of Jesus is this trait of love. It's a big theme throughout the Bible. Over 800 times, the Bible talks about love, and Jesus often talked about love. So this morning, what we're going to do is focus on a small part of that verse. And I think what maybe happened to the disciples when they heard Jesus say this, is they might have been ramped up. Like when he said, a new commandment I give to you, they might have been, okay, what is this? What's going to be new? He says, love one another. And they would have gone, oh, we've heard that before. Like that's in Leviticus. That's in the Old Testament. And it's very likely they missed the little phrase that made that commandment new. Uh, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. And then he said, as I have loved you, that you also love one another. So what we're going to do this morning is focus on that, that phrase, that as I have loved you. Because what Jesus did not want these guys to do is to break huddle and say, okay, guys, look, I want you to just go love each other. Ready? Break! Like, because he knew that that would utterly fail, right? And so the same is true for us today. Like, for us to just go out and love your neighbor, go out and love each other, go out and love your family, like, that is not going to work. But what Jesus said is, I want you to capture a new concept that in the way that I have loved you, I want you to go love one another. So next week is going to pick up that next theme about loving one another. I want to grab that short phrase 
And my job this morning is to pound you with the love of God. Like I want you to get a full injection in your heart, in your life, about how deeply you are loved by God. Before you even think about going out and loving others, Jesus said, I want you to know that I, as I have loved you, I want you to know my love for you. And you're going to see that Jesus' love transforms us, empowers us, and then propels us. And so let me pray, and we'll jump in uh, to this message. So, Father, what an incredible message that we are stepping into right now. And it's, it's hard because, on one hand, we could probably take a true-false quiz here and give the church answer, does God love us all? And we would say true, but if we look at how we're really living, what we really think about you, how we treat each other, the times we get afraid, the times we worry, do we really understand your love? And God, we live in a world that can be so harsh and cruel, and hard things can be said and done to us. It can be so easy for us to take our eyes off of this simple phrase, short phrase, but profound phrase, that as you have loved us. And so, God, would you please inject your people today with, with your love deeply into our hearts. May that love transform us, empower us, and propel us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we're, we're starting there with John 13, 34, and 35, a new commandment. And I want to tack one other verse on it. If we had two verses today we're springing off from, it's John 13, 34, and 35. But then the next verse is maybe just a few minutes later, but it's a few pages over, John 15, 9, where Jesus said, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Okay, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. So what we're trying to get our heads around this morning is how has Jesus loved us? And Jesus would first say, well, the way that I'm loving you is the way that I have been loved by my Father. A God the Father has loved me, and now with that exact same love, now I am loving you. And so that love is astonishing. And we're going to look at that statement that God loves you from three different angles here. And the first angle is, let's look at the one who is loving us. Let's look at the source of this love, who is loving us, okay? The full extent of love that you're going to receive depends on who's giving it, right? And so some of you have heard me talk about Baba, my black lab at home, right? So Baba loves me. And so what that means is his love language is licking. I get licked a lot. Like if I, it doesn't matter, I can sit down and he'll find me and he'll just come over and start giving me licks. Like, and if, sometimes I tolerate that. Sometimes it's just absolutely disgusting. I say, Baba, just go. So, but he still loves me. Like he, he, if I have a tennis ball in my hand, man, he just lights up. He says, if you throw that ball, I'll bring it back over and over and over again and I'll be excited to do it. Like, so, so to say that Bubba loves me is, you know, it's pretty cool, but that he doesn't have a ton of capacity to do much for me beyond licking and handing me wet tennis balls, all right? So that's Bubba loves me. Or I could say to you, like, I love you. Like, I, I'm thankful for this church. I, I love getting to be a pastor, praying for you guys, walking through things with you. I love that, but still, like, me saying that, there's some limitations. Like, there's some capacity issues. I can do some things, but not a whole lot. But then when you compare, you know, loves on this planet with the love of God, that God loves you, that is 
astonishing. When we say Jesus loves us, we're talking about the greatest person that ever walked on this planet. The greatest lover ever loves you, okay? And so when we say that God is love, for example, or that God loves, what's really important to understand is that isn't his only attribute. You don't take that like God is love and hold it out there in isolation. What you do is you bring God is love and you bring it right in the midst of all of his other attributes and you go, wow, that is an amazing source of love. Because you look at what the Bible says about Jesus, that he is the sinless son of God, that he created all things. So the one who loves you is the creator and the sustainer of all things. The one who loves you is all-powerful. That means no one can stop his love. That means he is infinite in his power. Nothing can stop him from loving you. And he doesn't run out of love. Like he has an abundance. He will never say to you, oh, I am so sorry. I just, I ran out of love and goodness for you. Like he doesn't say that. So his love is tucked in with his power. He is holy and he is righteous. That means that he always loves you in the right way. There are no false motives, false pretenses. There's not like trying to manipulate you so that he will get you to do something. He just loves you in the right way. He's all wise. That means he knows you through and through. He knows what you need. He knows exactly how to love you. He's eternal. He has no beginning and no end. That means his love will never stop. His love will be constant, continuous, backed by his power, full of his wisdom, and it will be on and on and on. It will never stop. And we see that God is good. And that means that he takes pleasure in us. He enjoys us. If you have read the first couple pages of the Bible, when he created the first man and woman, it says the first thing he did for them was bless them. Like all they did was show up and he blessed them. Like he's that kind of God that moves toward us. He is so good and he just loves to bless his people. He's gracious. That means that he loves people who don't deserve it and he's merciful. It means that his love is poured out instead of punishment. Like, so this is the love that comes your way. And just those statements alone, that God's love is pure, it's unstoppable, it's infinite, it's relentless, and it's complete. Like that, we could just stop there and go, man, that is an astonishing love. But that's just one aspect. Let's look at another aspect of this love, and that is the ones being loved, okay? When you look at who is being loved, it makes that love even greater. So when John 15, 9 said, and Jesus said, as the Father has loved me, let's just stop there. For the Father to love Jesus, that makes total sense. Like Jesus is the greatest person that ever lived. Jesus is beautiful. Jesus is righteous. He's strong. He's perfect. Like for God the Father to love God the Son, you look at that and go, wow, that makes total sense. And in fact, when you see the description of Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Those guys have had, the Trinity has had the perfect love relationship for all of eternity. There's no sin, there's no pride. It's just perfect, pure love. When you say the Father has loved the Son, you go, of course. Like, that's easy. But then when you consider that next step, that Jesus loved us, whoa. That says a lot about that love. Because when you look at who we are, you look at the objects of that love, it just blows us away. Who are we that we could be loved in this way? See, this expounds 
the kind of love we're talking about because this love is being poured on people who just completely do not deserve it. When we were praying earlier before the service, uh, David, the drummer, uh, prayed first, and he said, Father, thank you that we get to help lead worship today because really all we bring to you are filthy rags. Like, this is all we are. We are, we are sinners in comparison to a holy, righteous God. Like, you guys, we, we are sinful people. There is nothing in us that is attractive to a holy God. There is nothing in us that, that earned God's favor, that deserved God's love. Like, if anything, if he would look at us in his holiness and purity, he would be absolutely repulsed by us. He, there is no way we could come into his presence, let alone be recipients of his love. But Romans 5.8 says that God demonstrates his love for us and that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. So Jesus' love is so astonishing, not just because of like the quality of love that we described a few minutes ago, but the fact that now that love is coming to people like us that just flat out do not deserve it, that's just putting that love even on grander display for us. You're kidding me that, that we get to receive that kind of love. The wedding I did on Friday, the, um, the bride sent me a long email the day before just, just sharing her excitement for the day. And she said, um, Doug, it has been amazing to find someone who knows me so well flaws and all, and yet totally accepts me. I feel so secure in his love. Like, what a beautiful picture. What a beautiful celebration that was Friday because it's, a, because it's just a beautiful picture of what God has blessed him with in this relationship. But I had to smile when I thought of this because, I mean, she is marrying a great guy, but that kind of love is still just, just a speck of the love that, that God has for us. You talk about being thoroughly known good and especially are bad, like the things we hide from everyone else. God sees it all and is repulsed by the sin in us, the pride in us, the rebellion in us, and yet in his love he moved toward us. So, so we've seen two amazing aspects of Jesus' love for us, just the quality of love, but also the fact that we get to have access to that love is mind-blowing. But here's, if there's a third piece that can expand our concept of this love, it would be how this love was expressed to us. True love spares nothing. Love spends itself to bless the object of the love. And whenever the Bible talks about love and tries to define love for us, and the Bible says this is love, the Bible makes a beeline to the cross. The cross is the ultimate expression of love, the ultimate communication of the amazing love to people who don't deserve it. But now that love is expressed through the cross. First John 4, 9 and 10 says, in this is love, I'm sorry, in this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Let me just pause for a second on that word propitiation. Most likely you didn't use that word this week, right? Think about the word appeasement. Um, the propitiation of Jesus on the cross for us means that as sinners before holy God, we deserve the holy wrath and judgment of that God. And you can say, wait, I thought we were talking about the love of God. Yes, but remember the love of God is tucked in with all of God's attributes. 
And God is holy and just, and it is his right response to sin to respond with wrath and, just, and, and judgment. And so what Jesus did for us on the cross in the supreme act and demonstration of love is he took the ultimate bullet for us. He stepped between us and the wrath of a holy God, and he absorbed that wrath. He appeased the wrath of God by taking it on himself so that when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, he takes away our sin and the punishment and the wrath of God that we deserve and instead gives us life, gives us access to the love of God. Like he is the one that brings us into this relationship with a loving God. And so he took the punishment we deserve so that he could live. And guys, that is the greatest demonstration of love that you'll ever see. The greatest sacrifice because you have the sinless, holy, perfect son of God laying down his life, giving his life away for people who just flat out do not deserve it and people who in many cases will reject it and not even care about it, but he just gave his life for us. So this is a beautiful love. It's the quality of love sent to people who don't deserve it and expressed in a way that is beyond all expressions of love. This is really the gospel described, that I am so flawed and sinful and broken that it took this, the death of Jesus Christ, the sinless Son of God, uh, to, to rescue me from my condition. That's how, that's how sinful I am. But yet I was so loved and valued that Jesus was glad to do it for me. He, was re, he rejoiced in the fact that he gave his life for me. That is the essence of the gospel, you guys. And so the almighty creator God, who loves to bless his people, is kind, he's approachable, uh, he wants us to know him, he identifies with our pain and with our joy, he rejoices when we rejoice, uh, he's supremely kind to us, regardless of how we performed that day for him, uh, or how poorly we performed. And he exerts all of his being, including his power and his majesty and his wisdom and his infinite goodness to show love for us. Like that is the essence of the gospel. And that is amazing, all right? So that's, that's God's love that transforms us. And now let's go even deeper. God, God wants to empower you with his love. Okay, he wants to empower you. I'm gonna go back to John 15, 9. And I left out um, a couple words at the end. I want to come back to that verse and bring in those words. Jesus said, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. And then he said, abide in my love. I want you to live here. I want you to live in my love. Put down your roots. Uh, live within these walls. Live within the security, the structure, the confidence of my love. Put your roots down here. Stay here. Be protected here. Bask in this love. I want you here. I want your heart and your soul grounded in the love of God. That's what Jesus is saying. Abide in my love. May this be the place that your heart and your soul find refuge so that you can move through your life just knowing and being sure of the love of God. That is, that's powerful. You guys, that's where Jesus wants you this morning. Abiding, living in his love. And so it wasn't enough just to say, I mean, that's a great statement right there. That's an amazing verse. 
right there. But I think God knows us well. Like he knows that he can say the greatest statements and we'll still be kind of distracted or we'll forget or we'll, we'll face something hard until we forget that God loves us. So God did something else so we'd be really strengthened by his love. And Romans 5.5 5 says this. It says that hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So here's the deal. When you embrace the love of God through the gospel and you say, God, I am, I am a sinner, but I see how much you love me. I see what Jesus has done for me on the cross. Would you save me from my sins? Would you rescue me? From that moment, you begin a relationship with God. And what God does, one of his first acts, once you've done that, is that he sends his spirit to live in you. The Holy Spirit of God dwells inside of anybody who has put their faith in Jesus Christ. And how cool that Romans 5.5 5 tells us that one of his roles is to camp in your heart and just pour the love of God into your heart. Like that's how much God wants you to abide in his love is that Jesus invited you to do that. Hey, abide in my love. But just because we're distracted or we forget, he wants to make sure we abide in his love. And he gave us his spirit whose job is to just pour and pour. Like the verb tense, the wording there is a continual action. He's just going to constantly fill your heart with the love of God. That is his role. So God wants you grounded here. God wants you rooted here that he has loved you with an astonishing love. And so the whole book of Romans in this section comes to a crescendo about, okay, what does it mean then? What does it look like to truly bask in, abide in the love of God? And Romans 8, again, is this crescendo of living under the love of God. And so Romans 8, 31, if God is for us, who can be against us? He who didn't spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Guys, God has already expressed his love to us in the most profound way, having Jesus die for us. God has already met our greatest need to be rescued from our sin because we're alienated from God. He's already met our greatest need by giving his greatest gift. Now from here on, the rest of our lives, we can know God is for us. We can know that whatever we need, he will provide because he is a God who loves. And again, you continue in that chapter towards the end and you see these words, that um, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels or rulers, or things present or things to come, or powers or height or depth, or anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. The only love that won't disappoint us is the love that never changes and never goes away. And we have been invited into this powerful love, and God wants us to know it. His Spirit is there even now pouring this love into your heart. And so when we live and when we abide in that love, that is the gospel embraced. That is what happens when we say, okay, Jesus, I see your love for me. I see what you have done for me. I see my need for you because of my sin. I trust you as my Savior. I trust you to give me the love of God. And it is at that moment that we embrace and live in the love of God. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him, and um, just to pause on that, there's some whoever's. 
I know here this morning, there's some whoever's watching on live stream. I've had several people just in the last few weeks, hey, this is going on in so-and-so's life. I don't know that they know who God is. I don't know that they've been to church much. And I say, hey, if there's any way you can get them to October 7, I'd love them to hear about the love of God. And so you may be here this morning or you may be watching this morning and go, that, I'm one of the whoever's, that whoever believes in, in Christ will not perish, but will have everlasting life. That is the gospel embraced. And so Jesus' love uh, transforms us and empowers us. And then finally, the love of Jesus launches us out. It propels us to live this life with a whole new identity. Okay, look at, look at these two verses. Ephesians 5, 1 and 2. Therefore, be imitators of God. Pause. Like, is that a hard verse to apply? Okay, how about, could somebody just create a universe for me? Imitate God, right? So how do you imitate God? Keep, keep reading. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in his love as Christ loved us and gave himself for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. God. Isn't that cool? Be imitators of God as beloved children. Just like I can pick up family traits in people when I meet their parents and extended family, God says, you know what? There's a trait that now I want you to carry with you throughout your life. I want you to imitate my love. Like the way that you've been loved by me, I want you to be a people now that just go and imitate that love. Just show this world what that love looks like by how you treat them. Now, I just put the ball on the tee for next week's sermon because that's what the whole thrust of next week is, is how do we love one another? But we started with this morning, like, well, we're going to love each other in the way that God has loved us. We're going to imitate God because we are his beloved children. My wife is here this hour. I've heard her many times say to me or to our kids this expression, hurt people, hurt people. Like maybe one of our kids had somebody, something mean done to them, something bad was said to them, and so sometimes you get all riled up and angry at that person, but that statement rings true so many times. Hurt people hurt people that instead of maybe right away recoiling and retaliating to stop and look and say, okay, what's happening in that person's life that's making them say those kind of things, right? So, but you can flip that around, and the same is true, that loved people love people. That if you've been truly, you understand, if you are truly abiding in the love of God, there is a whole new level of security and comfort and boldness and joy. Like you have a whole new identity that you live this life as a beloved child of God. And now we're called to go imitate our father, like live like he has lived, love as he has loved. And what I love about studying the early church, like if you look at the DNA of the early followers of Jesus, they seem to get this, and it really made an influence on their culture and their time. I came across this week, it's called The Letter to Dognet, Dognet, I can never say the name, Dognetus. It's from the early second century, and it's a guy writing about Christianity, explaining it to people, because it's a movement that started real quick and kind of in an obscure way, but then it was booming and growing, and people were asking all kinds of questions about it. And in this letter to Dognetus, there was a description of the early Christian faith, and it said this, they love all men, and they are persecuted by all. They are poor, yet they make many rich. They lack everything, and yet they overflow in everything. They are spoken ill of, and yet they are justified. They are reviled, but they bless. They are insulted, and they repay the insult with honor. 
They do good, yet they're punished as evildoers. But when they're punished, they rejoice as if they've been raised from the dead. They are assailed by the Jews as barbarians. They are persecuted by the Greeks. And yet those who hate them are unable to give any reason for their hatred. Guys, we live in a time where our country needs to see this, needs to see the love of God. We live in a time of our country being polarized, where it seems like hatred is escalating. Like what a time for the people of God to imitate their father and to to show what true love is, to show what sacrificial love looks like. Today, um, globally, there are more and more people coming to Jesus than any other time in human history. And when you break down a lot of the reasons why, many times it's the sacrificial love that Christians are showing in various contexts all over the world. I heard of uh, a refugee from an Arab country who was in a refugee camp who was blown away by the fact that people of his own faith were, were ignoring him. But these Christians were going out of their way to care for him. And it got to the point where he said, my people are blowing me off and they're ignoring me. But you Christians are serving me and loving me. I know nothing of your religion, but I want it. I want in. Isn't that a beautiful, isn't that a beautiful story? And so even as a church in a couple of weeks, uh, October 27th and 28th, we're having a global workers conference. And our speaker, I keep butchering his name, I'll do my best, is Fouad Mahi, oh, did it again, Masi, Masiri. He is a Muslim convert who now equips uh, followers of Jesus around the country to, to better serve and love uh, Muslims. And so, um, again, we've tried to get this guy here for three or four years, and his schedule's always been loaded. So, like, if you could mark those dates out, he'll preach that Sunday morning, the 28th, and then do some workshops that night. But excited for us to learn from this man. But again, globally, as the gospel expre- spreads, it's through the love of, of Christians, sacrificially loving. And at our staff meeting this week, we have the different staff members just kind of tell stories what they're seeing God do around here. And one of the 24-7 leaders from the college ministry uh, talked about a student who came here in the fall, has only been here a few weeks on campus, and said had this, this person had no belief in God. And yet, of the different places this person hangs out with people, in the classroom, where they live, and then at 24-7, that's our college group, of those arenas where this person feels the most loved and reached out to is at 24-7. And this student shared with the leader the other night uh, you know what, I, don't, I came into this university with no belief in God, but now I'm really curious about this God. I don't believe in him yet, but what's drawing me to him is how you guys treat me. In my classrooms, nobody talks to me. Where I live, I'm just kind of there. But like here, you guys are investing in me and loving me. And that's a beautiful picture of the love, on, love of God on display. And so we'll talk more about that next week. But what we'll do um, now for the next few minutes is do what Jesus has commanded us to do. And he wants us to remember his love. And we're going to celebrate a communion together. And we do this monthly at Parkview as a church family to remind ourselves of the love of God. So if you're serving uh, communion, you can come on up this morning and pass out uh, the bread and the cup. Uh, for those of us um, that will partake in this this morning, I'm going to ask you just to hold the bread and the cup until everybody's been served, and then we'll take it together. And so this is for any person that has a relationship with Jesus. If you are not sure, or if this is new for you today, you don't have to do it because we are. If you don't know Jesus yet, I would encourage you to use this time 
to reflect on the gospel that we've just talked about, God's love for you, your need for him, and how Jesus died to take away your sins. So as these people are passing out, let me pray for us, and then we'll, um, we'll worship, and then we'll take communion together. So Jesus, in the next couple minutes, help us remember the profound act of love that you showed for us when you died for us on the cross. In your great name we pray, amen.